Hello and welcome to this podcast in Bristow's Designs and Copyright Review of the Year series. I'm Andy Butcher and I'm a Senior Associate in Bristow's Brands, Designs and Copyright team. And I'm joined by Sukanya Bajumdar, an Associate in the Commercial Technology and Copyright Disputes team. We're going to be talking about the Court of Justice of the European Union's judgment of September 2020 in the Recorded Artists, Actors, Performers Limited case. So Sukanya, the CJU's judgment in this case followed a referral from the High Court of Ireland, and the case is concerned with the interpretation of Article 8 of Directive 2006-115, which we'll refer to as the Rental Right Directive. Article 8 deals with the provision of equitable remuneration for performers and producers of sound recordings, where a sound recording is broadcast or otherwise communicated to the public. Can you tell us how this case came about? So who were the parties in the dispute? Thanks, Andy. Um, so the original proceedings were between Ireland's two main collecting societies. So these were the Recorded Artists Actors Performers Limited, which acts for certain performers, and the Phonographic Performance Ireland Limited, which acts for the producers of sound recordings. So these collecting societies were the two main parties, but given the significance and potential impact of the judgment, the Irish government, its Minister for Jobs, Enterprise and Innovation, and its Attorney General all, all joined the proceedings as second, third and fourth defendants. Great, thanks. So the dispute in the main proceedings in Ireland, what, what was that all about? So essentially, the two collecting societies entered into a contract to govern how licensees collected by them would be distributed, i.e. shared between the producers and performers. So the parties disagreed on the extent to which performers who were not from Ireland, in particular performers who were from outside the EEA, would be entitled to payment. So to work this out, the Irish High Court needed more clarity on the scope of the right to equitable remuneration in the Rental Right Directive, as you've just mentioned. Okay. And other than the Rental Right Directive, what were the other pieces of legislation or international treaties that were relevant to the dispute between the two collecting societies here? So firstly, the Rome Convention was relevant. Um, Article 4 and 5 of the Rome Convention sets out um, the requirement of national treatment for performers. So national treatment basically means that a state needs to provide foreign nationals the same rights as its own nationals. So the EU itself isn't a party to the Rome Convention, but nearly all of its members are, including Ireland. Um, a similar concept of national treatment was also found in Article 4 of the WIPO Performances and Phonograms Treaty. So this requires states to afford nationals of other countries the same right to equitable remuneration as its own nationals. So the EU and its member states are parties to this WIPO treaty. There is a little nuance with this treaty. So it allows a country to declare that it will restrict or even choose to not grant this right to equitable remuneration. The EU hasn't made any declarations like this, but the US has. So in the US, the remuneration is only paid for certain types of acts. Um, this was relevant to one of the questions referred to the CGU in the case. And finally, because this was an Irish case, national Irish law was also relevant. The right to equitable remuneration in national Irish law is set out in Article 208 of the Copyright and Related Rights Act 2000. However, it only applies to qualifying performances. Um, and qualifying performances is defined as performances either by nationals and residents of Ireland or an EEA state, or performances taking place in such states. Now, clearly, this excludes performances and performers from outside the EEA states, and it's different to the rules set out in the two international treaties that I've just mentioned. 
Okay, so there was a discrepancy between national Irish law and the two relevant international treaties. What did the two different collecting societies say about this discrepancy? So the Producers Collecting Society argued that the Irish national law provides a distinction between performers from the EEA and those not. So they argued that this meant the equitable remuneration payable under the EU Rental Right Directive could be paid exclusively to just a producer. So this was on the basis that the international treaties didn't affect Ireland's national legislation. On the flip side, the Performers Collecting Society argued that where the performers were that where the performers were from was completely irrelevant. So they said that the funds must be shared between the producers and performers, regardless of their nationality. So they relied on the concept of national treatment from the international treaties being applied to Ireland's implementation of the Rental Right Directive. Great, understood. Thanks. And so what did the High Court of Ireland ask the CJU in relation to this discrepancy between Irish law and the international treaties? So the Irish Court referred four questions in total. The first question was clarification on the relevance of the obligation of national treatment found in the Rome Convention and the WIPO Treaty to the Rental Right Directive. And this was decided together with the second question, which was whether Ireland could restrict the right to equitable remuneration in its national law so that it only applied to performers from an EEA state or performances taking place in such states. Okay, and what did the CJU find in relation to those two questions? The CJU decided that the Rental Right Directive must be interpreted as far as possible in a manner consistent with the WIPO Treaty because it forms an integral part of the EU legal order. So on this basis, in answer to the second question, the CGU held that the island that Ireland was precluded from excluding nationals and residents from outside the EEA from the right to equitable remuneration in its national law. Okay, so the, the first two questions were answered in favour of the Performers Collecting Society. What were the other two questions that were referred to the CJU? So the third question concerned the US reservation to the WIPO Treaty that I just mentioned. The Irish court needed to clarify how far Ireland could respond to the US's reservation, i.e. could Ireland protect US performers and producers differently to Irish nationals given the US's reservation? So this particular question was significant to assessing how far Irish law was compatible with EU law. Right, so what did the CJU decide about this issue concerning the reservation of rights? So the CJU decided that Ireland could not unilaterally respond to the US's reservation. As a matter of EU law, this was under the EU's exclusive competence because it concerned negotiating reciprocal international commitments. That makes sense. And so the final question, which was that? So the fourth and final question was um, the Irish court asking whether the Rental Right Directive precluded states from excluding performers altogether from the right to a single equitable remuneration. And the answer to this final question was unsurprising. It was decided that EU member states such as Ireland were not permitted to exclude certain categories of performers from the equitable remuneration in such a way that only producers receive the funds. Thanks, Sukanya. That's that's really clear. So obviously the judgment is good news for musicians whose performances are being used in Ireland. Given that this case has drawn attention to the fact that jurisdictions like the US have chosen to restrict the right to equitable remuneration for performers and producers, whilst the EU has not, and the CJU has now said that individual member states cannot restrict the rights of American performers and producers in the manner in which the rights of European performers and producers are restricted in the US, 
it'll be interesting to see whether lobbying efforts from EU stakeholders might achieve a change in approach in places like the US in the coming years. So that concludes this podcast on the CJU's judgment in the recorded artists, actors, performers limited case. We hope you found it interesting and thank you for listening.